Jesus spoke about money more than heaven, hell, or prayer. In this series, we'll take a look at several of the things he said about money and how they apply to our life today. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests? We're so glad to have you with us, both here in the room as well as online. And I know, you know, we have a lot of guests every weekend. I know we have some this weekend because of baptisms. We always have uh, extra people here. So if we could just, man, baptisms, I get excited for that. Does anybody else? You know, I mean, I stand up here every week. And the reason I do this is because I believe we're bringing life change to people. But the truth is, I don't know if you do anything with what I say sometimes. I mean, you know, it's, but when people make Jesus their king and get baptized, it's like, yes, there's evidence that lives are being changed. And so, so far this year at Grace Life, 180 people have made Jesus their king, baptized 17 this weekend alone. Let's celebrate that. And let me just tell you, we'll do baptisms every weekend. If you're one of the other 180 people and you're thinking, man, wh- should I take that step? The answer is yes, you should take that step. And uh, anytime you're ready, we're ready right here. So, well, if you are a guest, we are at the end of a series today. Today is part four. The good news, if you want to go back and hear any of it, if you've been traveling and you've missed any of it, it's all online or on our app. And the series is simply called Jesus Said Money Matters. And the reason we're doing a series like this, you know, sometimes people, people ask, why do you talk about finances? You know, that seems maybe very practical and maybe not a church kind of thing or something like that. Well, the reason that we talk about finances as a series every so often is a truth we can't get away from. Here's the truth. The way we handle our money affects the way we see our God. Now think about that. You can't break that one. Meaning if you handle your money poorly and you find yourself struggling, maybe a little broke, you're going through a hard time, you're going to find yourself in a place where you're saying, God, where are you? Why don't you answer my prayers? God, why aren't you good to me? God, why aren't you? On the other hand, if we handle our money well and things are going well, then we say things like, man, God, you are so good to me. I am so blessed. You go out, you get the license plate, vanity plate, hashtag blessed. You know, God loves me more than you, all that kind of stuff, you know? There's a truth we can't get away from. How you handle your money affects the way you see God. The thing is that that statement is actually backwards. It should be the way we see God affects how we handle our money. And so the point of a finance series, the point of talking about why Jesus said things about finances is because we've got to get both of those right in our lives. We do need to handle our money well so that we see God as he truly is. But more importantly, we need to see God as he truly is because that will determine some decisions we make and how we handle our money. And that's what this series is all about. So we've done this in the past, but we've never done it this way. This time we said, you know, since we were doing a Jesus said series, looking at statements Jesus made and responding to them, why don't we look specifically and only at what Jesus said? Because Jesus actually did talk about money and material possessions more than he did heaven, hell, or prayer. Matter of fact, in this series, we saw an example of where Jesus was trying to talk about eternity and important spiritual things and people interrupted him to argue about money. And so we need to make sure that we are in the right place in our hearts, that we're seeing God the right way and we're handling our money the way that Jesus would have us do it. So with that being said, I've got two very practical things that we've talked about along the way. Since we're closing out the series today, I want to put both of these back in front of you and make sure that you are seizing whatever opportunity. Uh, The first one, last week we talked about that idea of tithing, the idea of giving God the first tenth 
of everything that he gives us is simply honor to him. I'm not going to re-preach any of that. If you missed that or if you think that that's a, a weird church thing no one's ever explained to you, I encourage you to go back and listen to part three. But what they are going to do is put on the screen for you a number that you can text 90 day. Because what we said we will do is help you test God. Last week we talked about how God says, this is the only area of life you can test me. Test me and see if I'll be faithful to bless you until there's no more need. So what we do here at Grace Life, we call it the 90 day tithing challenge. You can text 90 day to that number on the screen. And anytime you're ready, not, not right now, you don't have to right now, you can just go ahead and text. And then if it's a month from now, you say, okay, I'm finally ready to do this. What you do is you sign up. And for 90 days, you give God the first 10th of everything. During those 90 days, we're praying for you by name. I already got a list of people who signed up last week. We're praying for you by name. We're going to send you some uh, encouragements from me, like some scriptures and some little video things about a minute long to help you during these 90 days. But here's the thing. It is a test. And at the end of the 90 days, you feel God didn't do what he said. We give you every penny back. And so if you want to take this step of faith, because I know it's hard. I don't know anybody would ever say it'd be easy for me to get rid of 10% of my income. Nobody's ever said that to me. So it's a challenging step to take. We want to help you take that step in faith. The second one is this. No matter what I preach about, when I'm standing on this stage, the best that I can do is bring some instruction, some understanding, maybe some clarity. Matter, well, let me rephrase this. The absolute best that I can do with the help of the Holy Spirit is bring some conviction that'll make you want to make a godly life change. You with me on that? But in terms of actually doing it, you need to get out of a big room like this and you need to get into a smaller setting where somebody knows your name, somebody knows your story, where somebody has been there, done that, or is currently there and trying to get the same solution you are. And so no matter what we preach on, we always try to connect you to what we call a life group. It's a small group where you can talk to somebody and, and learn and grow and do some very practical things, ask some practical questions. If we do a marriage series, we'll have new marriage groups starting after that. So we're doing the same thing for this. We've got some new finance groups that'll be starting in about a week. Uh, we use uh, the Financial Peace University curriculum from Dave Ramsey. We think it's one of the best things out there that you can go through. So here's what's cool about it. Even though we've got some groups starting, I already told you we'd be starting them. It usually costs about $100 a person to go through that. And you may say, wait a minute, why does Dave Ramsey charge broke people who need financial help the most to go through a financial group? Well, the reason for that is you usually don't get anything out of something you don't invest in. And when you're nearly broke and you come up with $100, let me show you, you're going to show up every single week and you're going to do what he says and your life is going to change. So we've kind of got a good news, maybe bad news situation for you. And that is that Dave Ramsey made an offer to churches where they could buy a license for an entire year to give all of this for free to all of their church members for an entire year. So that's the good news. You get free FPU, right? Yeah, you're about to clap. We can clap for that one. The bad news could be that you don't take it as seriously. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit to fix that one for you. But what that means is if you text FPU to the number on the screen right now, that we can get you into one of our four FPU groups that's taking place here in person. If you don't have a time that works for you, then you can join one of the FPU groups online, virtual groups from all around the world being hosted by Dave Ramsey's people. And you get the Ramsey budgeting app access for free for a year. So there's a lot right there for you because we've told you all along, we don't do this series to get something from you. We do this to get something for you. And that is to get the devil out of your finances, to get you into a situation where you can be what you're meant to be. And that is a conduit of God's blessing to this broken and hurting world. I'm glad somebody's happy for that. So free Financial Peace University. 
text sign up. There you go. Well, everybody, we're going to go ahead and finish up our series today. Today is part four, looking at another thing that Jesus said. Before we do, I'm just going to uh, open with a little bit of a, an apology, so to speak. It doesn't apply to most of you because most of you weren't here when I first became a pastor and started teaching finances. But for the couple of you like Kent and, and a few others, when I used to teach on finances very early on as I was a pastor, I started trying to help people the same way that I am now, but I wasn't very helpful. And the reason for that is I didn't understand the problem that people really had. Now, don't misunderstand, I did teach the Bible correctly. That's something I've always taken seriously. But you know, if you don't understand where people really are and you try to solve their problem, but you've got the problem wrong, your instructions may not be as good. You've gotta have the right problem in order to give the right instructions. Well, when I first started preaching, I assumed anybody who wasn't generous towards people or God were just stingy and selfish. I just thought that's what that meant. And then I was talking to another pastor and complaining one day, and he pointed out to me, he said, Jimmy, you know you're wrong. He actually shared statistics with me on the financial situation of Americans as well as Americans in church. And what I discovered that day, it was like a light bulb going off because it was my story. How did I not know? It was so obvious. But do you know the number one, people, number one reason people are not generous towards others or towards God? It's not because they're stingy and selfish. It's because they are strapped and struggling and maybe even broke. And when I think back to my own story, you've heard this throughout the series and pieces of it. I used to be a school teacher. So when my wife and I first got married, I was a public school teacher. She worked at Walmart. So we were rolling in the big bucks, y'all. Like living the rich life, if you know what I mean, yeah? And then we got pregnant. So we, we lost the Walmart checkout clerk side of things. And, and we just were like a single income school teacher. And, and I realized like we weren't stingy. We were so broke. We were taking turns over which bill to pay every month. Like you just didn't know what to do. And so I realized like the biggest problem you and I have is not being selfish. It is getting to a place where we can actually be as generous as we want to be. And so our last Jesus said statement today that we're going to look at for this series is a very practical one. It is one that is meant to help us have a very different financial future from our financial past or present. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to be in verse 28. And the statement that we're looking at today is when Jesus said, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Now I'm going to just stop right there and point out something. When I preach here at Grace Life multiple times, you will hear me always talk about context. I tell you, context is so important. You do not fully understand a scripture if you don't know what Jesus was actually talking about. Taking one sentence out of context messes everything up. So today, I have to be very upfront with you. I have to be true to scripture as well as true to the way that I preach and tell you, Jesus is not talking about money in this passage. He's not talking about money. Matter of fact, what he's actually talking about is the cost of being a Jesus follower. Let's back up a few sentences. Here is what had been happening. A lot of people are around him. So now great crowds accompanied him. He turned and he said to them, Whoo, man, there's a lot of people in church today. That's what he said. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? He was talking about the cost of being a disciple of Jesus because the reality is when you say, I'm gonna make Jesus my king and I'm gonna follow him, then something changes. At least it's supposed to. Some of our desires will have to change because Jesus is our king. Some of our decisions will have to change because Jesus is our king. 
Maybe most importantly, we're actually going to have to do what his father's words are, not what our culture says. And that's going to be the most expensive change I've ever noticed. Every generation, it gets more and more expensive. Y'all with me? And so look, I love the fact that we're using this passage on the day where we have done baptisms. Because when we do baptisms, and I wish I could tell you we planned this, we didn't plan this, we're not that great. But look, baptisms are about someone saying, I've counted the cost. I'm not just going to heaven, but I'm willing to tell everybody about it. And so the question that I'm going to give all of us today before we talk about money is, where are you with the cost of following Jesus? There are probably some of us here today, maybe you're a guest, you're with somebody, and you're at a place where you're saying, well, I haven't made Jesus my king yet because I'm not willing to pay that cost just yet. There may be somebody here today who says, well, I've made Jesus my savior, but I'm not sure about king. Like, I hope I get to go to heaven, but I don't really want him in charge of everything just yet. We might all be in a very different place. And so look, if, as I get ready to continue the message and talk about finances, I want to give you permission. If the Holy Spirit is talking to you about something completely different, about paying the cost of following Jesus, you get to stay there and listen to God. You get to ignore me completely, and you should take advantage of that because I do not invite people to ignore me very often. But you need to understand this is so important because your financial life is completely irrelevant if your spiritual life is headed the wrong direction. Somebody with me on that one, thank you. If you, your financial life doesn't matter if your spiritual life is headed the wrong direction. First of all, you can't take it with you and that's even if you're going to heaven. So look, we don't need to be talking about finances if you're not sure who Jesus is. I, that's gotta come first. And so again, if God is talking to you right now, if your heart's beating faster, you just know the Holy Spirit's all over you dealing with where are you in terms of following Jesus, you get to just hang out there. When Before we're finished today, I'm gonna come back and make sure everybody here has an opportunity to take one step closer to following Jesus. Amen, y'all with me on that one? Okay, so, but let's get back to our last Jesus said statement about finances. Again, he's not talking about money, but he is talking about a life principle of wisdom. And so we can apply this not only to following Jesus, we can apply it to getting married, we can apply it to taking a job, and yes, we can apply it to our finances. So we're gonna take this principle and apply it very specifically to finances today, if that makes sense. Everybody with me? So you're gonna have this verse memorized by the time I'm done. We're gonna use it so many times. Here you go again. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? That's a question, and it has an obvious answer. Somebody, somebody out there does not count the cost. They just start. They just do what they want. They do what they feel, and they think everything will just be fine in the end. And there's also another obvious answer. Somebody does count the cost. Somebody does plan before they go any further. And what Jesus is doing is he's actually giving us a choice. Which one are you going to be? Are you gonna be someone who thinks before they act or someone who acts without thinking? Actually, what he's really doing right here as he's talking about the cost of following him, he is pitting two groups of people against each other. There's two groups of people that are represented all throughout scripture and obviously one is recommended over the other. Let's see what he says again. For which of you desiring to build a tower, some of you can say it with me by this point, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. He keeps going by saying, otherwise, when he has, a has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able 
to finish. These words, mockery, mocking him, they are always used in the Bible to talk about the fool. There are two groups of people I told you in the Bible. One is the fool, one is the wise. The wise are the people who see and plan and prepare. And the fools are the one who do whatever they think in the moment without thinking ahead. And so I've entitled today's message, Jesus said, don't be a fool. Now that verse is not actually in the Bible, so the title of the message is a paraphrase, but I hope you're getting the point. Is that each one of us in every area of life is gonna to have to decide, are we going to be on a path of wisdom or the path of a fool? You see, the fool does what they feel like doing in the moment with little or no thought to how things end. The wise, on the other hand, they plan for a very specific outcome. And with God's help, they usually get there. And so for you and me today, we need to apply this to our finances and ask a very simple question. Look yourself in the mirror, if you can imagine doing that, and say, am I on the path of the fool? Or am I on the path of the wise? Am I on the path of the fool or am I on the path of the wise? And, and let's just ask some questions about what you want your future to look like. And let's see if you're on the path to get there. So let's start with this. Someday you're going to retire. Where do you want to be when you retire? When you are the grandparent, do you want to be the favorite grandparent? The one that can take your kids out and, and pay for them to do countless times around the go-kart track and the ones that can send them to summer camp when nobody else can afford it? Do you want to be that grandparent? Because you're going to have to think ahead in order to be that grandparent. When you retire, do you want to be one of those people that I see in the commercials of the Viking cruises on the European rivers? You know what I'm saying? Look, I'm not stereotyping old people, but their commercials do it. Everybody that takes a Viking cruise is over 60. So I'm just assuming that when you retire, you automatically want to do a Viking cruise, right? I don't know. I've been to Europe. Rivers are beautiful. I think I'll do that when I retire as well. The question is, where do you want to be? How about 10 years from now? What do you want 10 years from now to look like for you? Do you want to be able to pay for your kids to go to college? <laughs> Let me give you a free piece of wisdom on this one. If you don't pay for them to go to college, you will pay for them to eat dinner until they are 40 living in your basement. So <laughs> you need to decide where you want to be in 10 years. Do you want to take that special anniversary trip that you've dreamed of since you got married? Do you want to be investing in a uh, an investment property or maybe buying a vacation home, working towards that or at least saving towards that. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be in one year? Would you like to be less broke? Maybe have your house paid off or at least on the way towards that. Where do you want to be as soon as possible? Would you like to get to the 31st of a month and actually have money in the bank? Would you like to be able to be generous and honor God however it's in your heart? and your bank account not stand in the way of that? So look, we've all got somewhere we want to be. The path of the wise can actually see that path coming to a fruition. The path of the fool, it's a dream. We've all got those places we want to be. I'd like to share with you two verses that we all see in Scripture. And we'll say, I want this to be true of my life. They're both in the book of Proverbs, which is known as a book of wisdom, by the way. It says this, precious treasure and oil or in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Did you see the wise and the fool again? Now look, this is written in currency that you and I don't understand. Precious treasure and oil. What this is largely talking about is olive oil. And for the people in biblical times in the Middle East, olive orchards and olive oil, it was a precious commodity because you couldn't plant a tree 
for yourself, meaning you'd never get anything from it. I can at least plant an apple tree or a peach tree or something and wait a few years and I'm, I'm gonna be able to start to eat something from it. An olive tree takes a generation. And so if you actually have olive oil, it means that you had wise parents, wise grandparents, and wise great-grandparents because those orchards had to last for generations. In order for you to have an abundance, somebody else sacrificed for a very long time with a long-term plan for their family, right? And so for you to, to steward that and to take care of that, to be someone who, when your grandkids come over and your kids come over and you sit down for dinner, the fact that there is oil. See, olive oil, you could cook with it. You could purchase things with it. It was the most precious commodity because again, you couldn't plant a tree today and get some more next, next summer. That's not the way that worked. This was someone who looked ahead for the future. They were wise. And it says the opposite is the fool who just says, oh man, I'm good, I got plenty. I'm glad my dad planted all those trees. Let me go spend it all. And then we see another proverb says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And here's the reality. That's you. That's what you want to be. That's who I want to be. I don't want my kids trying to figure out how to pay for my funeral. I want my kids to be excited when they hear the reading of the will. I want to leave a blessing, not a problem, right? Now look, there are only two ways for these scriptures to be true of you later in life. There are only two ways. The first one is for you to win the lottery after a lifetime of being a fool. The second one is don't spend a lifetime being a fool. Those are the only two ways these passages are gonna come true of your life. Either win the lottery after a lifetime of being a fool or do not spend your lifetime being a fool. Ask yourself, am I on the path of the wise? Is it going where I want it to go? Or am I on the path of a fool? I'm just spending and having a good time today. You see, wise planning is simply acknowledging there will be a tomorrow. Sometimes we don't acknowledge there'll be a tomorrow, but there will be. Let's, let's just talk literally tomorrow. You know what you're gonna wanna do? You're gonna wanna eat. So what you're gonna wanna do tomorrow. You're gonna come home from work, you're gonna wanna eat. And, and it's gonna cost money, no surprise. We need to be prepared for that. You know what's going to happen in a few tomorrows? Like after working hard for a year, you're going to be tired. You're going to want to not see your boss for a week or two. It's called vacation. It costs money. No surprise. You know what happens to all the stuff you own? It's going to break. It's going to cost money. No surprise. It blows my mind the number of people that come to me shocked and surprised and asking me, Pastor, would you pray for me? My refrigerator broke. I'm like, uh, what is that? What, what verse are you wanting me to use for <laughs> reviving a refrigerator? I mean, you do know. Anything you buy at Lowe's and Home Depot will die. It's just going to happen. There is nothing there that has a last forever sign on it. Nothing ever. And, and what blows my mind sometimes, we find ourselves in situations where it's like we didn't realize the next day was going to come. Look, you just need to go ahead and plan. Know your family. I know my family. I have four kids. We do dishwashers and washing machines and dog ears. Like they, they just don't last like everything else because they're always running in our house. So we're, we're prepared a little in advance. If you've got tires on your car, which I hope you do, they're not going to last forever. If you run your car, it's not going to last forever. We should not be shocked and wondering where the goodness of God is when a material thing breaks. It's gonna happen. You know what's gonna happen someday? You're gonna to wanna to retire. You're gonna to wanna to take that Viking cruise. It's going to cost money. It's no surprise. These things are not a surprise. 
And so the wise plan, they use a cuss word. I know, I'm sorry, it's a cuss word, but they use something called a budget. <laughs> Thought y'all would like that. I don't get credit for this quote. I believe it's actually from a financial advisor named Larry Burkett, but he says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. <laughs> Woo! I got that story. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went because it's actually very, very simple. If you don't want to run out, you have to tell it where to go before you give it out. That's the only way to make sure that happens. If you don't want to run out, you have to tell it where to go before you start giving it out. I'll share with you my personal embarrassing story so that you hopefully cannot have an, uh, an embarrassing story. So w when my wife and I were younger, as I've told you, you know, I was a school teacher, public school teacher, and, and, and she worked in a store until uh, our first son was born, and then we had more kids. And so we lived off of a single teaching income, and, and life was, well, there was just never enough, at least in our eyes. And we also just thought we should have whatever made us happy. Those two don't work together. So, you know, for our early years, since the, the school system didn't pay me enough, we blamed them and we blamed God for making me a teacher where I didn't get paid enough because I was always volunteering as a youth pastor. So it's all God's fault, right? And so we took our good friends Visa and MasterCard wherever we wanted to go and we just lived the life we wanted. And it didn't take very long into our married life where we were two and a half times our total annual income in debt, not counting a mortgage. Whew. It's a really depressing day when you realize if you wake up and you don't eat, you don't shop, you don't pay a bill, you'll have to go to work for two and a half years just to reach zero. That's tough. I've coached a lot of people through things like that, been there, done that. If you want to know how to not be stupid, come see me as used to be stupid. I got it. But we reached a point where God kept bringing people into our lives to help us Stop it. Like we had friends that were living way smarter and way better and wiser and following biblical ideas. And, and God just, y'all know how sometimes God's messing with you because he keeps sending people to you. And I had, had friends. I had this one friend in particular. His name was Wes. He was in his early 40s. He had gone bankrupt and now he was completely debt free. He owned his house. He owned his cars. He owned his vacation toys. He only went to work if he wanted to buy groceries. He kept saying, Jimmy, there's a better way to live than what you're doing. He'd invite me to go on a trip with him where they, they take their little fancy camper and they set it up and I'm over there in a tent trying to figure out how I'm gonna pay for the eggs. I'm gonna try to cook on a campfire kind of thing, you know? God sends these people and I just thought, man, I hate you. Not God, him, the, the, the friend who was, until I realized I, I need to be like him. I need to become him. Like I, I, I can do this. And so I finally reached one, my breaking point one day. I just, I was so sick of being broke. I, I think I had gotten paid again that day. And <laughs> every time a school teacher looks at their paychecks, um, we offer extra counseling that day of the month, if y'all didn't know that. And so I drove home from school that day. This is a true story. I dropped by the bookstore and I used my Visa card to buy Dave Ramsey's book, Total Money Makeover, where the first thing he tells you is to cut your credit card up. <laughs> If I ever meet Dave Ramsey, I'm not gonna tell him I used a credit card to buy his book. But I actually read the book, and so did my wife. And we began to do the things that he has in it, the same things that you'll learn in Financial Peace University. Have I recommended FPU to him? Yeah, okay, just making sure. One of the first things that you have to do if you wanna get out of debt is spend less than you make. 
and that means you need a budget. So my wife and I are like, okay, well, let's get a budget. I mean, it's not hard to do it on my income because that was a low number. It's easy to work with low numbers, you know? So we sat down and said, this is what we make. This is what we're going to spend on groceries. This is what we're going to spend on whatever, whatever, whatever. So we had all that set out. Here's the problem. To really do this well, you're supposed to spend cash because Dave Ramsey's system is you take all your cash and you put it in little envelopes. When those envelopes are empty, you stop spending. Oh, it would be brilliant, but we didn't have any cash. We owed lots of people lots of cash. So we were going to try to figure out how to budget and continue using our credit card. And so the way that worked is, is we wrote down what we had and then we went out every month and we used the credit card and we waited for the credit card statement to come and tell us how close we came to the budget. That's like playing darts backwards, upside down with your eyes closed. And it worked just about that good. So I'm pretty uh, OCD. I had different highlighters. I pull out the green highlighter and I highlight every grocery store, do all the little math. And then I had pink highlighter, all of the restaurants because we were going out to eat, which we shouldn't be doing when we're broken in debt and trying to get out of debt. But you know, sometimes you just feel better about talking about your budget when you're having to stake at the Outback. <laughs> talking about a budget is so much easier to do over a blooming onion. But anyway, back to the point. And we'd look at each other as we totaled up all the colors and went, how did we spend $352 over budget and groceries? <laughs> because we spent it long before we were keeping track of it. So we said, you know what, honey, this doesn't work. Yeah, that took a rocket scientist, didn't it? So then we said, okay, I got a three ring binder and I made all these little sheets on the Excel spreadsheet stuff and printed them out and said, here's what we're gonna do. Every time you spend something, you bring the receipt home, you write it down in the right category and then we won't be behind anymore. <laughs> Well, that works if both of you are like anal retentive at keeping up with things and you never lose a receipt and you're an accountant because the rest of us, good luck with that. Either bad math, adding up numbers, doesn't come close, lost half the receipt, something like that. So that didn't work. And look, when I, I, I talk about doing something like this, there are people that always object to a budget. They always say things like, well, first of all, a budget is just too much work. <laughs> Let me tell you the truth. A budget is not nearly as much work as the second job you're gonna to have to get because you didn't have a budget. Then people tell me I can't do a budget because I'm not good at math. Well, mine and my wife's story is from 20 plus years ago when you had to figure it out. You don't have to be good at math anymore. If you can simply open up your phone and press the button or the, the app store icon, if you can do that, you can budget because there are a lot of budgeting apps out there. And they tell you where you are and they send you alerts when you're being stupid. I think some of them even say, don't go in that store. I'm just kidding, but I bet, that, I bet you could do that, I don't know. You know the real reason actually most people don't budget? The number one reason most people don't budget, and this gets it back to our heart, it's because we think the budget takes away our freedom. We were kids, Teenagers, our parents told us what time to go to bed, what time to get up, what we could wear to school, what we couldn't do, when we couldn't do it, who you couldn't hang out with, what time to be home on Friday night. Then you go to school. You can't even go to the bathroom without your teacher's permission. And then finally someday you turn 20 and you're like, uh-uh, ain't nobody telling me nothing anymore. I'm doing what I want and certainly not some numbers on a sheet of paper. Number one reason most people don't budget is because they're afraid they lose their freedom. The truth is a budget gives you freedom you've never had. Now, if you've been broke, you know what I'm talking about. Because see, when you're broke, when you know something doesn't get paid that month, every month, I've been there. But when you know that, you feel bad 
even when you buy what you have to buy. You can be at the grocery store buying nothing but milk and eggs and you will feel bad because you know something's not getting paid for and there's no money. You'll, you'll put gas in your car just to get to work and you will feel bad because you know there's just not enough money. But when you get a budget and you stay in it and there's money for milk and eggs and there's money for date night, it is so freeing to spend money that's actually there. You can go out on a date with your wife. Honey, we can go to Chick-fil-A. We're gonna have to share a nugget meal. We've only got $7.52 for date night, but we have $7.52. It's real, it's there, it's not on the visa. And it is so freeing. If you've never been broke enough to understand what I just said, I'm happy for you. But for those of you that know what I'm talking about, you'll never be freer than when that money is real and it's already set aside. You know what it's like when somebody, I remember the first time my wife said an appliance broke and I was like, who cares? Let's go to Home Depot. Because every other time it was, oh my God, what are we gonna do? And finally, when you've been saving for years and something breaks and it doesn't stress you out, man, a budget is so freeing. And, and I just wanna pause and talk to some of you on the other side of the spectrum that are like, Jimmy, move on. I don't need this, I'm doing well. Well, here's the reality. We've also had seasons where we've done well because now we honor God, now we follow a budget. You do end up on the other side of the spectrum if you do this. The problem is, then you're like, yeah, hey, we don't have to follow the budget quite so strict or we don't have to be so tight this month. You know, there's a little extra there, let's just enjoy. You know what happens? <laughs> it goes away quicker than you realize. You're like, oh, there'll be plenty until you're like, well, how did that happen? I knew we were gonna spend a little extra, but wow. So look, it doesn't matter if you're on the broke side or the abundant side, if you want what you really want for your future 10 years down the road, if you want to be a conduit for God's blessing, if you want to be what you're meant to be in this world and to be a steward of everything God's given you, you need a budget no matter where you are. You just have bigger numbers on one side of it than the other. But I do tell you my personal story, it's what I've seen in every person I've ever pastored. When you're willing to do it God's way, the blessings come, the numbers go up because God's ways do work. And so, with that being said, I wanna, wanna share with you a, a passage as I close about God's intent. Before I do, I'm closing early if you haven't noticed. Some of you are like, is that man really done? Actually, if you're a guest here today, you may say, that's, that's not the deepest message I've ever heard. Matter of fact, if you're from Grace Life, you may say the same thing. Because this is not the most spiritual, spiritual sounding message of all. Here's the reality though. If you've been here for this series, we've looked at other things Jesus said that were an absolute punch in the gut, weren't they? I mean, they were, they were tough. And you had to really go home and do some work with the Holy Spirit on those. And you'd say, man, that was, that was a spiritual message. Well, here's the reality. Today's message is very practical. But my experience as a pastor, what I've seen people do is that they, they focus on all the spiritual, they think the practical God's not involved in. And so then they find themselves praying that God would outbless their foolishness. You know, there are many books in the Bible that are literally called wisdom books. Being wise instead of a fool is actually God's idea. Some of the most practical things we can do are the ones that set us up for the life that God intends for us. So if you consider today's message a little more light 
spiritually, a little more practical, well then okay. Because you do need the deep heart messages. You do need the spiritual. You also need the practical. There are simple, simple things. God's intent for his people was written by Moses. That tells you long, long ago, very early on. And here's what he said of his people. There need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God has given you, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands. See, here's the truth. I don't believe in a prosperity gospel. That's, that's not what I'm preaching. And I'm not saying that we'll all be wealthy by the world standards. I'm also not saying everybody's going to get a second home. What I am saying is what God says. His people should not be hungry and struggling. His people should have enough to live well and be the conduit of his blessings to this hurting world. We should be able to be the people that everyone else looks at and says, I wanna be like you. I wanna be blessed like you are blessed. I want your God in my life. So whether it is a deep spiritual truth you need to change or a very simple practical thing of thinking about spending before you do it, we need to get into a place that we can be the representation of God on the earth. And so I'm gonna close the series the way I've closed almost every one of these messages. You've heard what Jesus said. Now, what are you going to do with what Jesus said? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are such a good God who blesses so abundantly in the greatest and biggest things like forgiveness and eternal life. And in the smallest things like food for lunch. God, we thank you that you bless us with vacations and Christmas gifts. And you also take care of our smallest needs. It's our prayer here today, God, that you'll help us be obedient the same way in the greatest and the biggest things, but also in the smallest and most practical. God, let us honor you. Let us represent you. Let us count every blessing from a small gift, from money for groceries to our very lives. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. As we talked about with baptisms and in other ways during the message, God loves you. And so when something comes into our life that separates us from him like sin, well, he found a way to fix that for us. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross so that his life and his death would pay for our sins so that his resurrection could provide you with eternal life. And if you've never made the exchange for this free gift of salvation, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning 
in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them? Amen.